cocaine bear. You are the bear. I am. I don't think I celebrate my achievements enough. I feel like I haven't quite figured out how to do that yet. The thing I'm most proud of in my life ever is Gus, my son. He is just, he's the best. The way that your creativity manifests will change and the things that bring you joy and spark joy change. There's no rush places like social media. The industry itself will tell you that you need to do this now. That's a piece of my creativity that really gets lit up when we do it. I'm working with Mark Rylance and Steven Spielberg was a real joy. Marvel films and DC films, lots of superheroes and monsters. Godzilla vs. Kong was cool. The Apes trilogy, the Hobbit trilogy, Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter, Tintin, Maze Runner, Hunger Games, Game of Thrones, Umbrella Academy. Wow, wow, there is a lot. Look on LinkedIn and see who <laughs> has been a bear. It's my absolute pleasure. It's like, uh, I love you, man. I love you too, man. Hello and welcome to Where Creatives Connect. My name is Jamie Sharp and this is the podcast that brings you the behind the scenes of creatives from literally all over the world. I dive into their process, their lives and everything that has been part of their journey to get them to where they are today. I'm super excited today because this is, uh, this is in my heart a long time coming. Somebody that I looked up to for many years and I still do, but as, as a student, as a 14, 15 year old, as I came to the National Youth Drama School literally in this hall. Uh, this man is one of the funniest men I know, one of the most physically skilled men I know, and has been an integral part of an amazing film, Cocaine Bear. <laughs> Alan Henry, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Mate, um, how are you at the moment? Uh, I'm good, man. I'm doing all right, yeah. Uh, things are exciting and there's lots of potential and the things there are a lot of creative things in my life that are really fulfilling and really enjoyable and yeah things are going good my family is doing well um and yeah like it's interesting the story of ellen henry is growing and changing and it's an interesting time as a 41 year old <laughs> to be experiencing that if you're asked what you do for a living mm. it's always quite tricky for creative people mm. but what's your go-to when people say what do you do <laughs> uh, I, I guess I, I preface it. I'm like I'm a thoroughly strange person. <laughs> that's kind of I, that's how I preface it, and then I just I guess I try to explain that I'm a an actor and a stuntman, and I do a lot of performance capture, and uh, yeah, I'm a teacher, and and it's yeah, it is so hard to qualify what I do because there are so many things that I do. It's a constant sort of balance and also I find that people often change it depending on who they're speaking to mm. if you're speaking to somebody that's in the industry and they they go oh I kind of know what you're doing you sort of batten down would you say you do that as well uh yeah yeah I think so mm. I think so especially yeah if, if if I'm talking with someone who does a lot of performance capture or motion capture or even animation and things then it's a lot easier to introduce myself in that manner I'm going to dive straight into what you've been up to quite recently. Well, mm -hmm. kind of recently. Yeah. It's been released recently. Yes. Cocaine Bear. Yeah. You are the bear. I am. Yes. Well, no, I should, I should qualify. I'm part of the bear. So I was the bear performer on set. Mm -hmm. I did a lot of the movement reference and performance reference. But the artists at Weta FX were in charge of the CGI bear itself and placing that over the top of what I did, and also augmenting and improving the performance that I gave. So I'm part of the bear. There was also, when they did pickups in LA, 
um, I wasn't available. So they had another performer there doing the small bits and pieces that they needed for that bit as well. So I'm I'm part of part of what the beer is. I'm with you. Now, when this gig came about, mm. it's it's not the most common thing in the world to go, look, I'm going to look on LinkedIn and see who has been a bear. <laughs> um, how on earth did this come about? Um, I got the gig, one, by being in the right place at the right time, but also through my relationship, my working relationship with Weta FX. Elizabeth Banks and um, NBC Universal had already asked Weta to do the CGI bear. And Elizabeth one day just said to them, do you know of someone who can perform, do, you know, do animal performance on set, who could be a reference for the actors, who would give our cameras something to frame against, something we could use to measure the, the timing and the rhythm. And Emma Cross, who is the, like, the motion capture director, just said, yeah, we've got Alan Henry. He's the guy. We're going to ask him to do it anyway. He's done it before. He's been on set. He's been a movement coach. He's been a movement performer. He would know what you needed and be able to give it to you. And that turned into a couple of Zoom meetings with Elizabeth and the producers and the ADs and the casting. And yeah, and then it was great. Elizabeth just asked me questions as one artist to another. She asked me about the process and about my experience and why I did what I did. And from there, I think she had the confidence to be like, yep, I can give Ellen direction and he'll take it. And also Ellen knows what Weta requires for their VFX. So I don't have to worry about thinking about that too much because Ellen already knows it. You mentioned that Elizabeth quite quickly went into asking you about your process. Mm. What was your process in building up to getting into the mindset and physicality of the bear? Uh, lots of reference footage. New Zealand is a place where there aren't a lot of bears around, so we don't have that common, those common encounters and that common kind of social understanding of what bears are. Mm. Uh, so the Wellington Zoo does have a sun bear. Her name is Sasa. She's really, really cool. Um, so I, did, I went to the zoo a lot and attended the zookeeper talks because they talk about, for instance, the sun bear's attitude and their energy and their habitat and how they exist and they're quite solitary creatures. Um, and I would observe the way, I guess the way kind of Sasa exists in her situation. She's very present. Bears, most animals are very present where they are. Uh, she, she's very present in where she is. She knows, she seems to know what she wants and is, has ways of getting what she needs. I would watch a lot of reference like videos. So nature documentaries, CCTV footage, you know, phone footage of people with bears in their backyard or bears crossing the street. And to look at the physical way that they exist and how they move, their the rhythm when they walk, like their gait and which limbs they're using, how they, a lot of their exploration is done with their head and their mouth. Um, and looking at the way that their energy changes based on the situation they're in. Uh, and from there... Lots of lots of it was just, you know, creatively trying to figure out how I, as a human, could get as close to that movement and that energy and rhythm and timing as I could. Uh, and my friend, Benjamin Franchin, who's also a physical performer, he's done, he was Peter in What We Do in the Shadows. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, he's a phenomenal performer. He's also a personal trainer. He and I spoke and he developed, he essentially built a workout routine 
to help my body get strong in the areas it needed to be strong in terms of making my shoulders stronger, by giving my hips more flexibility, trying to get more of that explosiveness in my legs for when the bear takes off and runs, um, you know, balance um, workouts that strengthen all of the balancing muscles and all of those things. So, yeah, there was, there was, a, there was quite a process involved and it's kind of lots of little different parts. It's fascinating to hear. On top of that, it's not just about you embodying it yourself. You also had some extra limbs, didn't you? Yeah, Bob? yeah, I had yeah arm extensions. So I had uh, these big, these like aluminium arm extensions, so that I could essentially move on all fours without compromising my own physical form, so that I could still breathe and still move. And it also put me at the right height and the right shape for the black bear for Koki. Mm. Um, and I had because bears have such big necks and these big old heads. I had a, a helmet which had a, um, a like a head rig on it that was like aluminium bars and a silicon bear snout on the end at the distance that a bear's um, snout would be. Wow. Um, and it had little ping pong balls for eyes. So the actors could see where the bear was looking and get a reference. Um, and it also meant that I could move and interact with things. And it was silicon so that it was soft, right? So I could... Yeah interact with actors and not hurt them mm. if she needed to sniff someone or I could nudge things around and not destroy them. Now, the reality of shooting motion capture, mm. quite a lot of the time you'll be in a green, green screen studio, but this one, right. quite different. You're on location, mm -hmm. you're in Ireland. Mm -hmm. You're able to tell us about how long you were there and what, what that looked like. Yeah, I was there for quite a while. I was there for many weeks, which is a fantastic way to explore Ireland. Um, and we were mostly on location. We were working at Ardmore Studios, so we were in a studio. But what I was doing wasn't necessarily motion capture or performance capture because there weren't cameras capturing my movement digitally. Mm. It was movement reference. So it was, it was a different. We did do some uh, performance capture in Previs before I went to Ireland. But on set, it was me and the Lycra moving through the scene, being the physical presence. And then it was essentially just a place marker for the CGI bear to go over the top of. Um, so it, yeah, it was different. It differed a lot from being in studio doing performance capture for other films. Hello, thank you so much for watching so far. If you're enjoying yourself and you're watching on YouTube, please click the subscribe button and get that bell notification so you know every time I upload. If you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, give us a follow. And if you want some behind the scenes, come and find me over on Instagram or TikTok for some extra goodies. On with the podcast. As an actor mm. uh, based in Wellington in New Zealand, mm. being away from home, uh, friends and family for four and a half, five months, particularly during COVID, mm. what's that really like? The COVID was an interesting, interesting kind of wrench in the mix. Um, like the, the, the isolation and the quarantine periods and the extra vigilance around hygiene and uh like COVID protocols mm. was uh it it wasn't like it wasn't like it was intrusive or oppressive it was just another thing that you always had to be aware of traveling during that time was tough because normally if I travel away for a long time I can negotiate my family coming to visit mm. and coming you know the people that I care about being able to come and see me at least but that was difficult because at the time in New Zealand anyone re-entering New Zealand had to apply for a managed isolation quarantine kind of space mm. where you would be quarantined for two weeks. And the system was designed in a way that made it very, very difficult. It was almost like a lottery. There weren't enough spaces. 
so the biggest stress was trying to find space in one of these MIQ um, spots and then making sure that my travel from Ireland would get me there at that right time because if I missed it I'd have to reapply and there's no no knowing if I'd get it but in terms of that like yeah it was just the fact that the it was the isolation from my loved ones was tough but the joy of technology was great um, I caught up with my son Gus uh, and his mum Rachel every day either um, by a phone or most likely on Zoom. Mm-hmm. Um, there, We came up with, because I couldn't read with Gus before he went to bed, um, uh, he was eight at the time. So I actually got, I found a copy of um, Snark, which is by this awesome New Zealand author, where he he's added The Hunting of the Snark by Lewis Carroll and the Jabberwocky and written another story around the other members of the boat and from their perspective what this journey to find the snark was and i every night i would re- literally record myself reading a chapter as though i was reading the story to gus Amazing. and then send it send it off to rachel and gus and that night before bed he would play it on his phone and he had a copy of the book so he would read along with me and then he'd you know he'd it'd be kind of like i was reading him to sleep that's amazing and yeah, great fun. and also a really creative way around an issue of not being really far away from yeah, home yeah 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 this is not your first ride this is not your first gig you've no. done plenty of films <laughs> could you dive into a couple of them you've we've spoken in the last couple of days about the bfg yep um yep. take your pick oh yeah bfg was another great film that was in 2015. um yeah i was movement coach for that so terry notary who is a phenomenal physical performer and he's the guy that trains everyone he and Andy work really closely together. He's been on all the Apes films. He's been in, honestly, Terry has been in so many films. He was movement coach for The Hobbit, and that's where my working relationship with him started. And when BFG came along, he needed an assistant movement coach because he was also required on another project, which re- which meant he would be gone for two weeks. Right. So he needed someone who could kind of keep his work going with the actors and with the stunt team. So he brought me on board with that, and he and I... Uh, I, we worked together to develop the movement styles for each individual giant, um, which we then taught to the actors, and the actors got to then add their flavor to those kind of templates that we had designed. Um, and, I mean, it was working with, you know, incredible performers and working with Mark Rylance and Steven Spielberg was a real joy. They were both so generous and lovely and warm. And that was in, that was in Vancouver in Canada, so that was a really nice time. Rachel and Gus could come and visit me then. And that was great. They had to, they came over for a visit and hung out, and Gus got to cruise around. And um, yeah, like through through my performance capture work with Weta, I've ended up working on quite a few super interesting films. A lot of cool New Zealand films, like uh, Shadow in the Clouds, which is cool. Um, a lot of Marvel films and DC films, lots of superheroes and monsters. Godzilla vs Kong was cool. The Apes trilogy, the Hobbit trilogy, uh, Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. Wow. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Tintin, um, Maze Runner, uh, Hunger Games. Um, so, like, yeah, so many films. We did some stuff for uh, Love, Death, and Robots. We've done bits and pieces for Game of Thrones, Umbrella Academy. Wow, wow, there is a lot. Mm, <laughs> there really is. And that's been in various kind of capacities. Uh, for The Hobbit and for Avatar, um, 
that I had, I was involved in the onset stuff as well as being involved in performance capture. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of the other films, it was just performance capture, mostly at Weta in Wellington. Mm -hmm. Some of it was, some of it was on set um, or on location, which is cool. Uh, yeah, it's, it's been, it's been a super cool time that we, there were a couple, couple of gigs outside of Weta actually that were for uh, video game companies. So doing cinematics for video games. Uh, which is which has been really exciting. To be honest, the reason I got into performing the, what I do is because I wanted to be in a video game. I wanted to be a cartoon character when I grew up, when I was a kid. And I'm sl I feel like I'm slowly making my way there. Um, but yeah, to be a cartoon character or a character in a video game, it's the dream. It's the dream. <laughs> do you think with technology growing, particularly in things like VR, mm. Do you see there being more opportunities with motion capture and this type of physical work? Or do you ever have any concerns with things like AI uh, that could replace these sorts of things? What are your views on Good it? question. The AI thing is, I, I am not actually that concerned about it. Mm. I liken it to the invention of the circular saw or the chainsaw. When the circular saw was invented, builders didn't stop building. They didn't lose their jobs. Their building became more efficient. And I feel like AI is making the, the conceptualization and the generation of ideas much more efficient. So people, humans, creative people, can get to the refining and refining stage faster. And I think VR and AI presents more as, as a way to present more opportunities uh, motion capture hasn't and vfx hasn't stopped people from using practical effects it's just given you other options and i feel like that's where ai is going it's going to give you other options to do what you do and it's going to make the technology more accessible i think that's what i've been finding a lot of technology that was reserved for big rich studios is now widely available mm. and um, a lot of it's open source so um, people can really dive in and do what they need to do with it and find ways to tweak it to get it to do what they need. Um, there are a few companies I work with that use like Motive and um, they use systems that are like plug and play, ready to go. And you just fire it up and do some small tweaks. Um, you, you know, you, uh, <clears throat> you declare what the, where the volume is or what, can, what space you're going to be filming in. And then you, you're away and you're recording motion and you're recording what you need to record. There are like tons of people I see on Facebook and YouTube building their own helmet rigs using cameras. And there are camera apps you can use now that re like real time will track your facial movements and apply it to a digital face. So there's all this opportunity for, for independent creatives to get their ideas into reality. And I feel like that's the opportunity that there's more opportunity being created, uh, whether or not uh, it becomes a mainstay of kind of more mainstream work. I don't know, but mm. I don't think I don't think it's gonna. I don't think it's going to take away any work that already exists. I feel like it's just going to create more. I really like that outlook because it's very easy to scaremonger and jump on the bandwagon and go, "Oh, that's it. We're out. We're done for." Mm. But I think creativity is. Uh, going to be the last thing that we can really replicate if we ever can replicate right it's just like ai is powerful but it still requires a human creativity to get it to where it needs to be i think totally 
I say that now, but when the AI overlords take over, I'll have a different tune. So. Yeah. Let, let's meet again next year and see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, now, you mentioned when growing up, you wanted to be a cartoon. Yeah. None of the things you do happen by accident. Mm. Are you able to talk us through what your growing up was like in terms of the relationship to creativity and the arts? Mm. I... Uh, I grew up in a very low socioeconomic neighborhood. There weren't a lot of opportunities. I was very lucky that I have family members and like I had parents who were musical. We were a very musical family. I remember as a kid finding uh, a cupboard in like a wardrobe in one of the rooms in our house and opening it and it was full of musical instruments. There were guitars, there was a banjo, there were harmonicas, there were piano accordions. I knew, I kind of knew that my dad played piano. Mm. Um, and I remember going to find my dad and I said, Dad, I've just found all these instruments in this cupboard. And he kind of said, oh, yeah, yeah, those are your, your mum and I's instruments. I was like, what, you play all of those? He's like, well, I don't play all of them. Your mum plays the banjo. <laughs> and um, so they, and I was like, why have I never seen you playing these? And they're yeah. like, well, you're obviously in bed when we have these parties. Oh, and I that's see. When that's when the instruments turn up. And I was like, You've got, what? You've got to be kidding me. <laughs> um, and then, and unfortunately my, my dad passed away when I was 10, so I didn't get the chance to explore that musicality with him. I remember talking to him about it and going to visit family members and, and seeing him play bits and pieces, but I never got to really explore that with him. And then after he, after he passed away, my mum didn't really engage in music that much. Mm. And it wasn't until she unfortunately passed away as well, um, about 10 or 20 years later. And we, I'd always talked to her about the music, um, but I, yeah, it felt like she didn't really uh, have the have the drive to do it anymore. So, I mean, in saying that, I have siblings who play the guitar like an absolute machine, and we're all singers, and we're not. I mean, you know, we can't say we can't claim we're good singers, but I think I, we have a good time. Yeah, I, I think I was very fortunate in terms of where I ended up. My schools, the schools that I went to, were always very very keen on, on, on promoting creativity. I feel like there was a time where growing up in like the late 80s, early 90s in New Zealand, being Māori, there was a lot of expectation to be a good role model, to be a good, quote unquote, good Māori. And uh, so a lot, there was a lot of pressure being put on achievement, whether that was academic or creative or, or you know, like sports. Um, and when I got to high school, uh, I found a, a drama class, and the drama teacher was amazing, this woman called Cecilia Byswheeler. She became a surrogate mother. She, to all of us, let's be honest, she just took us under her wing, and she not only did she teach us about drama and theatre and script writing, but she really tried to create genuinely good humans out of us kids, because she saw what we were facing in the world. And she wanted us to really challenge that with everything we had. And through her, I was at a, you know, I had the confidence to kind of excel for other subjects. And I was really lucky in my high school. We had teachers who were all really strong teachers and the principal was really supportive. And my art teacher was always encouraging me to explore art and different artists, New Zealand artists and international artists, and really look at what they were doing and we had music teachers who were always encouraging us to try different um, like different instruments or different musical styles and 
you know, like, never stopped us from, they didn't stop us from listening to, like, Bone Thugs and Harmony and, like, you know, gangster rap, but they encouraged us to also remember that classical music exists, jazz music exists, pop music is a thing, you know. Um, so I was really lucky in that creativity was fostered in me. My family at the time didn't quite know how to deal with it because I come from a very industrial family. They were all keen on, like, if you're not excelling in your school, leave school and get a job. Because if you get a job, you can support the family. Um, and so they were always encouraging me to get a job. And me being the, being the kind of upstart creative I was, I was like, no, I don't want to get one of those jobs. I want to be an artist. And then ironically, years later, I was just like, I need a job because I'm an artist. Uh, <laughs> and it never ends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then from there, it kind of turned into trying to focus on growing that creativity. And post high school, uh, I went to a local polytechnic here in Hawke's Bay at EIT and did a, did a two-year kind of drama course there. That led to gaining the kind of skill, well, not the, the skill, the confidence to audition for Toi Fakari, the, the New Zealand drama school. And I've been trying to work hard to perpetuate the kind of work I want to do, mm. always focusing on being physical and being expressive and operating in a medium that's interesting to me. I love screen acting. I love being on stage. But as soon as I discovered that, you know, being part of the stunt industry means you get to do cool physical things like, you know, drive cars and shoot guns and jump off things and swing on ropes. I started to focus on that and training to be stronger and fitter. And then around the end of 2006 in Wellington, they had announced that they were going to be doing the, uh, the Halo movie. Neil Blomkamp was directing it. This was just before he did District 9. <clears throat> And uh, I got an audition for the motion capture team on that. And that required me to kind of run around and pretend to be a monster and run and shoot guns. And uh, I got selected for the team for that. And then unfortunately, that project got canned very quickly into the process. So we didn't actually do much motion capture at all. But it was kind of my realization that this performance medium was available mm. and was something that I could do and was, was relatively good at. Uh, and it kind of grew from there because of those people I met that day at Weta. Um, people like Shane Rungi, who's like the co-matua of creature performers in New Zealand. He's, he was he worked on Narnia, he worked on Rings. He's he's done so much. Because of meeting him, he would mention me to other people he was working with, and the network would grow from there. And I'd meet those people, and then they would bring me on to projects with them. Uh, and it's kind of grown from there and, and I've, I've tried to focus and work really hard on that kind of creativity. And there are, other, there are always other things that inform it. Mm. Like you don't just do a, a motion capture class. It's always the thing, other things you learn that come in, come in handy, like martial arts and dance and sport and, you know, working in hospo and writing books and playing Dungeons and Dragons and, you know, video games and watching sci-fi movies, that sort of thing. So many things inform what you do because a lot of especially performance capture it's about finding the not the realism but finding the point of relation the things that an audience can relate to and that's their way in something i've always noticed about the way you you lead your life is that's quite infectious is that your creativity or your approach to creativity 
is almost always community based. And what I mean by that is that you're you encompass the people around you. So you told me the story on the drive up here about um, singing the songs with the strangers in the bar in Ireland. Yeah. And that is amazing because I know thousands of musicians that are amazing, uh, you know, amazing performers, but they wouldn't have the, the I don't know what it is, the, the, the ability to drop the training and go, no, no, we can use this to communicate and to, to learn each other and mm. to be mm. part of something bigger than, than we are. Mm. Um, and that's really, really important. The other thing I want to mention as well is that you didn't know motion capture was going to be the thing you were going to be doing all the way up. Mm. And for a lot of the young people that we get to see here at NIDS or, or wherever, sometimes there's a bit of pressure that they go, oh, I need to be on this path that's getting smaller and smaller and this is what I need to know I'm doing. Mm. Have you got any advice for young people that feel that pressure at the moment? Oh, yeah, advice. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> I think if I, yeah, if I had to think the classic, if I had to think back to what I would tell myself, uh, is that some people have mentioned it here already as well, is that the idea that creativity is, is broad. And there are a lot of things about people that are creative. And the the way that your creativity manifests will change. And the things that bring you joy and spark joy change. And they're different. And when you're younger, it's one thing. And then as you grow and refine your tastes and your um, the things that you enjoy, they they help inform what kind of creativity you want to take. And I think the advice is that, yeah, there's there's no rush. There's no rush. A lot of a lot of places like social media and and advertising and the industry itself will tell you that you need to do this now, um, because after a couple of years the opportunities won't be there, which is is quite literally false. Because otherwise, movie making would have stopped a hundred years ago. Yes, but it doesn't. It perpetuates. It keeps going. There are always there's always another opportunity. Don't feel like if you look around and see other people getting opportunities, then the best thing you can do is celebrate that they have opportunities because we're all trying to get ahead. And if your friends are successful, they deserve that success. And just because you see an opportunity and you miss it, it does not mean that there isn't another one just beyond there. There's always going to be more opportunities that come up. There always are. And I think that's the biggest thing that people get caught up on and they see something and they see like oh there's a star wars movie i need to be in that star wars movie or i'll never do it again you know like i haven't been in a star wars movie yet mm. i thought we were done once we were finished with the nine the, mm. the nine films we have and i was like well i guess that's it i'm never going to be in a star wars film i'm still not in a star wars film but they've announced more star wars movies and some people like them some people don't like them i like them mm -hmm. and i would like to be in a star wars film so those there are more opportunities coming up you know there are these opportunities that have just appeared and i think as the years go on you get so worried that you've that you've passed your prime and i don't think that's true anyone who says they're past their prime needs to take a look at like meryl streep and helen mirren and you know older actors and be like they're still at the top of their game i say older actors but i don't even know if that's fair <laughs> you yeah know? yeah yeah, there's no, there's no, there is no rush. Work on what you, discover what you like and, and work on the things that 
bring you the joy in this in this weird creativity mm. like what is it is it you know like i found a real love for tabletop role-playing games not because i want to you know, like i want to make a film about it but because tabletop role-playing games are about collective storytelling with people i love and that's awesome you know that's such a fun thing to do that's a piece of my creativity that really gets lit up when we do it you know that i don't necessarily find when i do things like motion capture or film that's a different kind of flavor so creativity is so different writing painting you know drawing silly things with noodles. writing children's books as well right yeah you've got one on the way <laughs> yep 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 writing yeah yeah writing a writing a kid's book that i've that i started writing so long ago <laughs> and i've just been just been like agonizing over it you know trying to find the confidence in my own writing which has been been very difficult for the past few years mm. but it's it's written now and now <laughs> i'm just think just got to illustrate it and then get it out there totally and then i then i'm sure the next ones will fly by it'll be fine <laughs> two or three books later it'll be easy yeah yeah, yeah yeah now you you touched upon there um comparing yourself to other people and mm. I guess it's a bit of self-doubt as well. Yeah. Creativity, it seems to be linked in quite mm. heavily with well-being, mental health. Mm. Um, do you put anything in place as a 41-year-old man that's been in the industry and doing very well in the industry to help keep yourself balanced and keep yourself mentally in check? Mm. Uh, at the mo for me, I found it's been about support networks about people I care about around me who can uh, who can give me that support when I need it and who can be sound good sounding boards and people that I can um, talk with and, and uh, you know bounce ideas off or talk through issues with um, it's very it's been very difficult for me to trust myself uh, I've been riddled with self-doubt from a lot of things from unresolved childhood trauma from uh, experiences I had as a young person being creative with people around me who did not appreciate that uh, there are and you know there are so many external factors in this world which really really take a toll on a person's mental health and their own sense of worth and I'm slowly trying to find still trying to find that worth with myself in conversation with myself in the meantime though having a strong support network is good the main thing that people remind me of is to is to look at the facts and look at the work that i've done and look at the proof that is a long you know quite a long line of films and projects that i've worked on that i've enjoyed that i've had a good time with and i wouldn't have got those gigs if other people didn't trust that i could do the job and that i the fact that i did the job and then got another job is proof that i obviously did something right and Sure, there's always room to improve, but yeah, it can be difficult. I, I guess it's difficult. I don't know if it's difficult for other people. As a New Zealander, it's quite difficult to celebrate your own success mm -hmm. because it feels, it can start to feel a little unfair, like you're uh, less that you're celebrating your own success and you start to feel like you're boasting to people who, who are less, less off than you, you know? And it can be tough to find the difference between celebrating and loving yourself um, in a way that's not not detrimental to other people there's a great quote i heard from dave grohl actually from foo fighters cool. where he said i want to be the kind of guy 
that does something and people look at me and they go, look at what that guy's doing. I want to do that. Mm. As opposed to that guy's doing something, I'll never be able to do that. Mm. You know, and part of why I try to take this community approach to, to my creativity is I, I mean, I, I started training in martial arts because I watched Jackie Chan. And I was like, well, that's cool. I want to do that stuff. Yeah. You know, I got, I started doing action-based things and stunt things because I watched action movies and I was like, I want to do that stuff. And I want to be the kind of person who does, does incredible things. And people look at it and go, if, look, if Alan can do that, then there's a, there's an opportunity. There's a chance for me. I can do that too. You know, and when people ask me, how do I get into this? I'm always happy to be like, well, here's, here's my journey. Here's what I did. It might be different for you, but mm. you know, trying to remind people that it's like, if I can do it, anyone can, you know, some people have to work harder than others. Sure. I've had to work a lot harder than some of my friends who just naturally are such gifted performers, but I work hard mm. and I enjoy it. Mm. You know, I hate cardio, so I don't do cardio at the gym, but I love gymnastics. So I'll spend an hour and a half, two hours doing cartwheels, backflips, forward flips, jumping on trampoline, running around, diving over vaults. You know, I'll get my kind of cardio exercise that way. So, yeah, I think that's like mental health. It's such a, oh, it's such a, such a weird game you play with yourself. Um, and there are so many things that you can do. Therapy, oh, therapy has been a blessing. Last year, life got really difficult. and uh, therapy was such a, such a, like such a, it came at such a key moment where things were looking pretty dark and I started seeing a therapist and now it wasn't that this therapist waved a magic wand. It was just a person who was able to say, in my professional opinion, this is what's going on. Try these techniques and see if they help. If they don't, we'll try something else. And if that doesn't work, we'll try something else. And through that process, I've been, you know, it's been helpful in recognizing issues that I need to deal with and recognizing issues that um, have resulted in the way I think and feel about certain things and then finding techniques and things that help me uh, minimize the harm I do to myself with those with those thoughts or those ideas or those concepts and having a group of friends I can talk to who love me and support me and then having someone who doesn't know me and only looks at my looks at what I'm saying with an objective, learned point of view, being able to have those two diagnoses helps me to find kind of the truth in what the, what's going on for myself. Um, yeah, and and just reveling in the, in the small things that bring me joy and the things that I love, like hanging out with Gus, you know, with my son and hanging out with the dog, you know, taking the dog to the beach, playing video games, playing Dungeons and Dragons, um, you know, 3D printing minis and then painting them. Little little silly things that I really, really enjoy, you know. And just taking it one day at a time, really. It's really visual and strong in my head that you were one of the first people, first strong male uh, role models that spoke openly about mental health. Mm. Um, and it might be having come to a different country and hearing it in a slightly different way. Mm. But it's very easy to talk about mental health in a doom and gloom, and it's all rubbish and really, really hard way. <laughs> yeah. And it, maybe it's just a British thing. But, but it, 
that's how it was either not spoken about or it was just doom and gloom. Mm. But I remember even, uh, you know, lunchtime things here at NIDS or um, just small comments about looking after yourself mm. or, or decisions you would make. Um, I know helped me uh, for many years, but also it kind of unlocks, it gives you, an, uh, it allows you to unlock yourself a little bit and go, oh, yeah, no, that, that is me. I do feel those things. So I appreciate all the ways you've spoken about things over the years um, greatly. It's helped, it's helped me, and I know it will have helped lots of people. Mm-hmm. Um, as one of the final few traditions on the podcast, mm. I have a book that I am about to go and get from over there. Okay. And each guest writes uh, a question for a future guest. Oh. And no- yeah, normally I don't say who's coming on the podcast in the future, mm. partly because I don't always know. Uh, but I mentioned to a few people who you were oh. and uh, they were all like, sick, that's so cool. How do you know him? And I want his job. That sounds amazing. <laughs> Let me get the book. Okay, sure. <laughs> Lovely book. And if you want this, you can get 10% off with the code Jamie10 at checkout. I'll put the link below. Um, so we have lots of people. I'm going to ask you two questions. Okay. One okay. is from somebody you do know. Uh, and that is Kelsey. Uh, oh. I interviewed her uh, up at her studios uh, yeah. last week, and it was amazing. And she wrote, following on from what you said before, do you think you celebrate your achievements enough, and what are you most proud of? Mm, that is a good question. I don't think I celebrate my achievements enough. Uh, I feel like I haven't quite figured out how to do that yet. Um. Oh, it's, it's, in terms of the thing I'm most proud of in my life ever is Gus, my son. He is just, he is the best. He is the best thing. Um, and, uh, yeah, he's, uh, he's just, I, yeah, I love him. He's the thing I'm most proud of. Work-wise, oof. I think I'm proud of, most proud of the fact that I've been able to do the things that I want to do the things that I love, the projects. I've worked on projects that are really interesting and and I get to do cool things on. Because it's like it's... I could say that cocaine beer was, was something I'm most proud of. But back in 2016, after doing the BFG, I would have said BFG is the most thing I'm most proud of. You know? sure. There are so many projects I've worked on that I've loved. and So yeah, I guess I'm proud of still doing the thing that I'm doing. <laughs> That makes perfect sense. Um, the second one mm. is from Dante Kennedy, and he is the musical director at Quincy Jones's Bar in Dubai. Okay, he's the he's a very cool dude. He's a very cool dude. Dante, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so I mentioned to him we we wrapped up a podcast about three in the morning uh, <laughs> when I was on my way over here, and um, I said, "Oh, I explained you're on." And he, he was like, I love, and listed a few films that you're in. So this is specifically for you. Okay. He said, while analyzing cr- the creative process per character mm-hmm. and becoming who the character is, mm. is it hard to come out of character back to who you are or do fragments of being somebody or something else stay saturated in your being? Mm. I think, I think you're always going to be affected by what you do. 
I think you're always going to carry some of some of that character with you. The my process, I guess, something I learned from from Dame Miranda Harcourt, who was a a teacher at drama school that I had, who is now a colleague and a, still a teacher. She talks about the idea that that the character is here and you are here, and you're never going to be fully yourself or fully the character. That's not possible. So what you do is you find this this space in the middle where you get into focus. And by doing so, you infuse a bit of yourself into the character, but the bit of the character also infuses itself into you. And there have to be ways to break away from that afterwards. And you have to have ways and techniques that remind you of what your reality is versus the reality you've just been playing. And that comes down to, for me, it's uh, being very analytical about literally the space around me, looking and being like, that is a dark gray chair, it's made of plastic. That light is this kind of color, or the roof is possibly maybe six, five to six meters away. Mm -hmm. So getting very analytical with my world that is definitely not the world we've just been in. Mm -hmm. And uh, and also, yeah, remembering that I'm that I'm and knowing the difference between when I'm in character and when I'm not in character, and how that feels, how Alan Henry feels versus how Koki the Bear feels, and trying to find that difference and be very clear with that difference. And performance capture, especially, the technology is so so precise now and so powerful. It cameras can you can tell when a person when a when a performer is in character and then when it drops mm. just subtle shifts in their body position or their breathing you know when they're out of character and when they're in and being able to as a performer understand the difference between those two is helpful you know and again having a group of people around you who can call you out and be just like why are you doing this or why are you doing that um you know are you really in love with this person or are you just saying that because you played lovers for this show and you know, uh, and really asking you that question, not a, not and not in a way of like, ooh, you're in love, yeah. But being Getting like, to it. being like, you there, person, do you actually love that person? Mm. Why? Why do you love them? Why? And then reminding you that the feelings that you have are valid, but they were for that project, and they were for that character, and for that relationship, and what that is no longer exists. So some, it's something else. There, there are people that I that I was. In relationships with uh, on film and, and in theater shows, I no longer am in relationships with them, but we are close because we have shared experiences. So the closeness exists. So yeah, there, there's a part of that character that bleeds into you, sure. Just like anything you experience, it affects you and it creates more of who you are. Uh, but you just need to know the difference between that. And for me, that came that came with training. I had to really learn how to do that. Um, for some people, they don't need it. Some people do. What's next for you? Oh, what indeed. Um, I'm currently doing some performance capture for Weta. There's a couple of things. I can't say what they are, but I can say one of them involves monsters and another one involves superheroes. Uh, Two very cool Very things. cool things, yeah, yeah. They're, they're really fun. It's really fun coming home from those, from those jobs. Uh, I just wrapped up a TV series, a local TV series in Wellington. It's a New Zealand series called After the Party. It, they may change that title. I'm not sure. Um, and it's funny. I played. I play a high school principal in that show, 
And just before I went to Cocaine Bear, I had finished up the third season of another TV series called Mean Mums, where I played a primary school principal. So I think I've kind of fallen into a niche. You've found, you found your calling. <laughs> yeah, playing playing principals, school principals. Um, yeah. So yeah, there's a couple of things. Very exciting. Thank you so much for all of your energy, your time, um, and I really look forward to seeing everything that you've got coming out in the future. Thanks. It's my absolute pleasure. It's like, um, I love you, man. I love you too, man. No, I appreciate yeah. it. If you're still listening at home, thank you so, so much. Please go and check out all of Alan's work because uh, it's truly something special. Remember to create with people, connect with people, but most importantly, be exactly you. Until the next time, peace. Nice man. Thanks, man. Thanks, dude. Hey, we did it. Oh, we did.